The Car Dealer Podcast is sponsored by SalesLink from Jato, a market insight tool that's purpose-built for franchise car dealers. Get analysis on thousands of new vehicle transactions every month from all the major brands. See model mix and trim data for the brands you sell, as well as competitor data, all in the free web-based platform. It lets you track vehicle option uptake, colour preferences, and gives detailed data on pricing and discounts. Sign up for your free SalesLink account today. Visit jato.com slash saleslink to start unlocking your market insights. Welcome back to the Car Dealer Podcast. If you haven't listened before, we pick our favourite stories of the week and ask an industry guest to choose which were the best. I'm John Ray, and joining me this week is Waterlooville's best-known road tester, James Batchelor. James. I don't, I, I, I don't live in Waterlooville. I don't. Is that right? Is that right? Because on our analytics software, you do come up as from Waterlooville. I'm just, I'm just saying what the IP address says. Yeah, but as we all know, analytics can be wrong. Right. Um, and uh, I do not live in Waterlooville, and I don't live in Gosport either. That, which was, which was, that was an even older gag. So, um, so there we are. But it's lovely to be back on the podcast. It really yes, is. It's been a little while, yes. hasn't it? You haven't been parachuted in, as you like to say, for quite some time. No, what, I haven't. What's new no. with you? Um, well, <laughs> um, well, it's been quite manic, really, because I um, I was sort of off last week and I was sort of out of the office for half of this week. And um, I, obviously my ping, of course, because I'm part of nine car dealer whatsapp groups because i'm part of the editorial team and my phone has been pinging constantly so i had to mute everything when i was on holiday because it was driving me mad that's because we we were getting through so many stories and i yesterday i spent most of yesterday morning catching up on everything and i'm sure we will cover some of this stuff but um uh, particularly pendragon i was just trying to catch up on all of this stuff and now i know what it's like to be one of our readers Mm. and we do some quality stuff johnny ray don't we we really do we do i have to say all hours of the day as well i mean i say we collectively i'm not sure if it's us but as an organization uh batch yes car dealer does some very good stuff it yeah. does it does so yeah so I, that's what i've been doing i've been sort of away a bit which has been nice oh very good yeah yeah i've been fine too thanks for asking uh um, how are you are you all right how are you, are you okay are i'm you okay, okay? I'm in okay. that holly willoughby yeah. style are you okay yes i'm also okay but i will not dwell on our pleasantries because I want to get going because I'm sure we have a lot of stories to get through okay. this week. Yes. Uh, so I'll introduce our guest. Our guest this week is Paul Hilton, head of sales link at our kind and generous sponsors, Jato. Welcome. How are you? Hi, John. Hi, James. How are you? Very yeah. well. Very well. I thought we got out of the way of the pleasantries, but we're good. We're excellent. <laughs> Batch has been on holiday. I uh, don't know if you heard. Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. You might have mentioned it. Oh. <laughs> well, I am sorry. sorry. No. <laughs> well, it's lovely We're to have you on. allowed a holiday, you know. Well, yeah. it's debatable. It's lovely to have you on. Um, I'm sure many of our listeners will recognise your name, but not necessarily from Jato. That's right. I mean, I've been, gosh. As as all of us, you know, once you get into the automotive industry, uh, you know, it does have its way of of keeping us here, doesn't it? So yeah, I've been in the business in the industry rather for for uh, a long time now. I was previously with ATG and G Forces for thirteen and a half years before 
uh, joining JTO. And actually, it'll be my, my one-year anniversary at JTO on Monday, which has absolutely flown by. Um, but now we're doing some really exciting stuff here, you know, really uh, focusing the business on our on our approach to our retail vertical. And, you know, so we're doing a lot of things, as you know. I mean, we've, we've had our webinar recently, which I'm sure will be going out soon. Um, but yeah, I've been in the, been in the industry for quite quite a few years now. So JTO as a as a name is something that we are. I'm stealing points from the webinar, which is not yet out. But it's a it's a name that the automotive industry will be familiar with, but not necessarily dealers. Is that right? So what's your what's your sort of product for dealers? Well, no, you're right. I mean, and I've kind of realized this in in the year that I've been here as I sort of meet dealers and having come from a software background you know especially dealing with international businesses a lot of a lot of companies have heard of JTO but in the dealer world we're, we're not as well known um you know dealers will be using JTO data and software because of the amount of uh, sorry uh, our, our insights because of the amount of work we do with OEM and leasing companies but dealers wouldn't wouldn't traditionally be familiar with us but you know, we are an insights business and, and what we're really proud of doing in, in the retail space is taking those insights and delivering them to dealers, you know, so we're really focused on uh, helping dealers to understand some of the trends that are happening in the market, um, insight around pricing activity, option take rates, uh, volumes of sales by product, simple things like color distribution or trim distribution on, on certain product. Um, so really helping dealers, especially now, I'm sure we'll go on to some of the news topics around um, uh, pricing and, and 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 the news around EV. So those sort of insights really help dealers just to uh, support their gut instinct and, and, and their own experience in terms of what they should be doing uh, uh, around selling and, and stocking of vehicles. So. so how sales link is the is the product, isn't it? How does it work in terms of dealers accessing it and using the insights and data? Well, so we make we make sales link free for dealers, so they can log in to uh, not not plugging it here, but but jtop.com <laughs> slash sales link. It's in the in the intro to the to the podcast, but they could go in, create an account. Uh, we'll verify their access. It's only open to car dealers, so we don't we don't allow any any non dealers to access at all. And they can log in, and the insights are there, right? We've got years worth of uh, historical data on vehicle sales, right the way up to up to current week uh, weekly data. Uh, and then we invite dealers if they want to, they can um, sign up to a, a, a share their own data. And that gives them the, the my view versus the market view in terms of comparison. So for those dealers that want to understand what am I doing in my dealerships, how am I selling, what discounts, what options, what pricing am I am I putting and how does that benchmark against the rest of the market? There's an option to do that if they if they um, if they agree to that that data sharing piece. But um, I know we've got international listeners for the podcast as well, and and sales links and international products. So we're live in five countries here in the UK: Germany, France, Italy, and Spain. And it's all backed by JTO's data, right? So it's it's industry leading specs data, model mix, uh, and additional insights um, matched, of course, with actual actual sales data from dealers. So it's a really yeah, I mean, it's a great tool. Of course, it's free, so it's a it's a no brainer really for for the dealers to use, um, and it just allows them to get a, a a lot of insights they wouldn't otherwise get from composite or other other manufacturer data. Mm. Paul, um, uh, you know there are there are plenty of data providers out there, primarily in the used car sector. Yeah. But just generally speaking, can you just give us an idea of um, 
how important it is for dealers to be using these kinds of tools because i mean you know it wasn't that long ago that dealers just used their nouse a little bit didn't they or they just used their expertise in 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 local market their understanding of the the market they're operating in but now there are plenty of tools for dealers to use so how important is it for dealers to be using all of this stuff well look i think um Dealers know know their markets better than anybody else, of course. Let, let, let's be clear with that. So they understand um, what cars they want to sell, what type of cars they should be stocking, what type of cars that their customers want to buy. But, um, you know, insight should help inform some of that decision making. And that and that's what we specialize in in, in, in terms of sales. And there is a lot of insight tools out there, especially around, around used cars, but often they're based on on the cars as they are today, right? The used cars on, on the market and the listing price of those vehicles. The benefit of looking at actual transactional data is is, is getting a, a real sense of what, what the cars actually sell for in the market, what level of discount is being given. And I'm sure we'll come on if we if we talk about some of the EV topics of the week, but you know, the the level of discount available on electric cars right now, new and used. It is quite staggering, right? And we can see that there's a big drop in pricing on used cars, uh, used electric vehicle recently, but the offers available for, for consumers on new EVs, uh, you know, is very, very high as well. And, uh, you know, dealers need that sort of additional insight to support that. And uh, and that's what, that, that's what we specialize in, like I say. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. We shall, should we crack on with the podcast? Because as you say, I'm sure we will cover these things as we go through. Yeah. Um, if you haven't listened before, Batch and I have chosen our favourite stories from the car dealer website this week. We don't know what each other has chosen. I'm going to have a chat about each story as we go through. At the end, Paul gets to decide whose stories were the best and who is the winner. If you want to play along, you can, uh, no, sorry, you can X at car dealer mag and let us know if you think we've missed anything. I can't remember who lost last week, but I think I lost. Uh, I then. think you did lose last week. I, I, I listened to the podcast. Yeah. Thank God you're here. <laughs> <laughs> you're so there prepared. was only one. There was only one story <laughs> that dominated really last week. Right? That's and, true. Uh, That's very true. Um, well, I shall hand it over to James Batchelor to start us off. Okay. All right. Well, um, you might expect me to start with a certain dealer group but i'm not actually i'm going to start is with... that because it's a very complicated topic and you don't <laughs> well it is it is about. but i'm I, I was i was i thought i'd leave you to uh to introduce it seeing so i've been away for so long but okay. um but i do have some views on 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 that particular dealer group so perhaps you might come back to that but anyway anyway um i i want to start with um the zev so the so the uh, the mandate that um uh, I mean, we, we we covered this apparently um, quite in depth last week, but of course it's been properly rubber stamped um, this week by the government. And um, I'm sure our listeners are, are well aware of it. Um, basically, it's it means that more than a fifth, 22% of new cars sold by car makers in the UK next year in 2024 must be pure electric. Um, and that's going to steadily increase um over the years up to uh, 80%. So 80% of new cars will have to be zero emissions. So pure electric by 2030 and of course by 2035 it'll be 100%. And um it sort of got me thinking really. I mean what kind of petrol cars and diesel cars but primarily petrols are going to be around between 2030 and 2035 if 
if we're only talk, if we're talking about 80% in 2030 have to be pure EVs and 100% by 2035, that 20% in five years, what are we going to have? Mm. Because really, I mean, if you think about it, yes, of course, it's probably going to be really high-end, high-performance stuff. But by that point, seven years away, 10 years away, um, manufacturers just simply are not going to want to invest in any kind of petrol engine at all, are they? So um, it's all well and good saying 80% are going to be EVs by 2030, but it might even be 100% by by uh, 2030 anyway, mightn't it? And um, and really, let's 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 not forget that um, you know we're taking all of this as as green, aren't we? But um, you know, there could very well be a whole new government and a whole new you you party elected between now and well within the next couple of years. So it could all change once again. And I think one thing that. Um, we've learned is that um, you, you you can't um, just expect everything to happen, can you? I mean, it, it could all change again. So, um, so yes, that's what I wanted to kick off with. Mm. So shall I, shall I offer my thoughts on this? Please um, do. It won't be much of a podcast if you don't. Well, no, let's move on. Um, <laughs> so as you say, there's, you raised two very interesting deadlines there, didn't you? One is the 2030, 80%. So that in effect, I mean, it might just be how percentage how percentages sound to us but 80 percent is a lot that might you sort of think well that fundamentally nearly is a an ev only uh thing so by removing by rishi saying we remove the ban in 2030 well the the number of cars hitting the roads that are not pure electric by that point is going to be very small so Mm -hmm. really it's of you might as well have not said it in a way it's i'm trying to think as you say as a, a an example of who is going to still be selling petrol and diesel non-high well actually petrol and diesel cars by then um and i suppose it's the which manufacturers have recently invested in this sort of stuff mazda maybe you know they're they're bringing still new petrol and diesel engines aren't they yeah Uh, but i just i i just feel as though it's going to be the properly properly high-end stuff because if you've still got like the the volume premium brands like Mercedes and Audi, I mean they they're not going to still be developing five cylinder and eight cylinder engines, are they? When no. when eighty percent of the market's EV. So that's another good point. Is that so many manufacturers have come out and said, well, we are simply going to stop producing uh, internal combustion engine cars by twenty thirty anyway. As I think we listed them last week, various Stellantis brands have committed to that, and some before twenty thirty even. Um, Nissan, of course, we were both at the unveiling this week of their new uh car that definitely isn't the new micra um in london where they they said we are committed to the ceo of entire of nissan not ceo of uk big boss of nissan committed to the 2030 cutoff for them as well said every new car they introduce will be electric from now on electric only yeah but that's well, the thing with the I, OEMs. They've got a. They've already started that process and mm. have done for many, many years, right? So I think the statement from Nissan was was quite telling, right? We're still on. We're still on track for that deadline because I mean we deal a lot at JTO with the OEMs and they are years in advance in terms mm. of their planning and their strategies, right? So you know these decisions have been made. So and James makes a point. If there's another change in government if there's another change in policy the oems can't afford 
to be shifting back and forth in terms of their planning and, and strategies at a factory level, you know, at a battery production level. You know, these orders have to be placed years in advance to get mm. the people and the materials and the minerals and, and the things that are needed to produce this sort of stuff. So I don't think it's it's particularly helpful. And the other point I think is worth making is that who buys in in 2030 a petrol car that when they come to sell that vehicle in 2035 or before becomes you know a lot less valuable if the ban if the ban has gone through and in place. So I think I think I think the acceleration towards EV will just continue between now and 2030 anyway. And I wouldn't be surprised if it was even above 80% by by the deadline because I just think people are pushed into that route anyway, you know? Yeah, they are. And um but it does yeah <laughs> I feel silly expressing some kind of of incredulity at, at our government here, but I mean, what was the point in kicking the can down the road, making all? And it was weeks and months, wasn't it? Months of oh, is the twenty thirty deadline is looking a little bit rocky? It might be pushed back to twenty thirty five, and then it was finally confirmed it's going to be pushed back. But it doesn't it doesn't make any difference whatsoever, really. And um, but the the thing that really concerns me about all of this, and I I fear as though I'm going to be rolling three stories into one here. But um, the thing that really worries me is 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 it's the it's the short term goal, which is the 22 percent next year. Now, 22 percent mm. is is a huge jump from where we are at the moment. And the government hasn't come out and said, don't worry, we're still going to we're going to reintroduce incentives. Um and that that's you know we already know that that the vast majority of new ev sales in this country are to fleets and to companies and to company car drivers not to private car buyers but that 22% is going to have to involve quite a lot of private car buyers isn't it so you know i echo the words of electrifying.com Ginny buckley and um, auto trader who are saying look that's all well and good but where are the cash incentives to help people make the switch um yes there's no carrot is there no so an interesting mm. one um, but there's an incentive gradually making its way from the east though right i think there's a lot of a lot of affordable electric car products entering the european market from the chinese brands mm. you know that is creating a more accessible electric car product for a lot of a lot of uk and european consumers um, yeah. and that's going to put a lot of pressure on the established brands to to still be attractive for those for those shoppers as well. So, I think we, we've got we've got that we, we've got that coming. But the 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 issue I think sits around the infrastructure and, and the readiness. And I actually think that for Rishi Sunak, the the fallout from the ULES changes and the the tax on the poor is is a is a statement that or the tax on the poorer rather is a statement that he doesn't really want to carry for. Uh, for himself over the next few years and and the pushing the 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 deadline out five years kind of takes a little bit of that pressure away doesn't it yeah it does or at least it looks like it does even though well, it looks- yeah 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 uh, um, Just going back to that 22 percent there yeah we can see across the industry that's going to be a problem but if you drill down into specific manufacturers that becomes even more of a challenge doesn't it i mean you mm. can look at people like Vauxhall, anyone Stellantis, generally they have a good range of EVs and will probably do okay. Mercedes also, you know, most of their range is electrified now, isn't it, in some way, um, or has an electric equivalent. But if you take 
well, I was going to say a smaller company like Mazda, but even a big company like Toyota. Toyota have one EV in their entire range, don't they? And at that, not, I'm so sorry if anyone from listening from Toyota is here, but not a very competitive one at that is this BZ4X thing. It's one car. For that one car to take 22% of their sales next year is going to be a bit of a struggle, I think. Um, and yeah. I mean, you could apply that to anyone, couldn't you? Look at JLR. They've got one EV across their entire range at the minute. What are they going to do? Probably buy credits. Is that a thing that's going on here? Is there a credit swap thing with people like Tesla? But just it's, the it's a lot of credits to swap. <laughs> yeah, there will be an awful lot of credits. But it's, it's it's not just that, though, John, is it? It's, it's also, if you look at something like Volkswagen, that's got a, a, a very healthy, colourful electric car lineup, um, you know, they've I've, I've read today, it's the second time that their um, EV factory, they've had to pause production at their EV factory because uh, the, the take up across Europe of EVs is just not is just not there. Mm. So, um, you know, they, they, you know, even even a brand like Volkswagen, which has got lots of EVs. But if people aren't <laughs> aren't buying them, it doesn't help the, the car manufacturer if they if they can't meet their. I can uh a quota can they so i can see some pre-reg on the horizon yes i know yeah and massive well, we've already seen massive incentive well, massive cash deductions off uh new evs and it's only going to get worse isn't it but um mm. but can i so not, can i be a little bit naughty here now no, you I'm... mentioned you min- mentioned nissan then and that was one that's going to be one of my other stories so can i just quickly go on there so no rules in the podcast okay <laughs> Well, I, so yes, as you said, I was at this event, and so we, so were you, um, at uh, Nissan's Design Centre in Paddington. Which, if if anybody is not aware of this, it's quite extraordinary, isn't it? Because I knew Nissan had a design centre in Paddington, but I didn't quite know where it was. And I've passed it <laughs> on the on the flyover about a million times. And if anybody drives in and out of London, they'll see it in Paddington. It's this like it's called the Battleship Building. It's quite a distinctive sort of uh low rise kind of oval shaped building. And um and it's an amazing place to have a design studio because most places are tucked away, aren't they? You know, obviously away from prying eyes. But um so at this event it's it's um uh, 30 years of of the of the design studio being uh, opened. Um, but uh, yes, yeah, so the big boss from from Tokyo came 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 in, and I didn't know he was turning up. And um, he did come out with quite. I mean, it was it was quite a polite kind of jab at the government, wasn't it? It was very very polite, but it was it was very clear that Nissan are a little bit um, peeved by all the recent manoeuvres by the government um, and delaying and the and the what have you. But um, it was quite a bullish statement, though, wasn't it? So effectively, what he's saying is that every new brand new Nissan that's going to be launched in Europe from now onwards will be pure electric. So that means Qashqai and Duke, the next generation of those cars will be pure electric. Now, that is an easy thing to say, isn't it? Um, it's a great sound bite. It's a great sound bite when you're standing on a on a on a floating raft on the Grand Canal in central London. But yes. it's going to be even harder to put it into practice, though, isn't it? Because you know, Nissan has been has long been a very pragmatic volume car maker. Um, and they don't they don't like to be rushed into things. And um 
you know, when the new EV market is looking a bit unsteady, I think going all electric is a bit of a risky move. I mean, you've only got to look at Stellantis, who, you know, various Jeeps, Citroens and Fiat's recently, they've said, look, this is going to be an all electric car. And then a few few weeks later, say, ah, you know how that was going to be all electric? Well, we're going to add a few petrol engines in into the mix just as well, because the market's not quite there. Yeah. So um, what I'm trying to say is it's 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 it was a very, you know, bold and impassionate, you know, thing to say on a floating barge in central London. But to actually put it into practice, I think is very, very risky. So um, it's going to be interesting to see how that pans out. There's a few few caveats on that for me is. It was, I can't remember if you said this, but every Nissan launched in Europe will be fully electric. Every yes. new Nissan launched in Europe. So firstly, that obviously means they're still going to keep creating all these other ICE vehicles for Japan and America and everywhere else in the world. Um, so they're not they're not strictly committing to it in the same way that Mini, I think, have committed to it entirely, haven't they? They've said it will be in all electric. Or Volvo, for example, have said, all electric brand entirely. You won't be able to buy a petrol Volvo anywhere. So they're not quite going that far. And then the other thing is their their range actually is quite new at the minute, isn't it? So if we take how long do these things last? About six to six to seven years car cars stay around, don't they? So when did the Duke launch? 2019. So probably what we're going to see is a new the next Duke will be the first fully electric thing. Cashcar's just been replaced, hasn't it? Um what else have they got? They don't have a micro at the minute. So, I mean, I can I can sort of see that working for them fully electric. The other thing is, pre-pandemic, Nissan actually announced um, a very similar intention to launch a lot of EVs by 2022. I think it was seven EVs were supposed to be here by 2022. That has not happened. I'd, forgot, I'd forgotten that, actually. Yeah. So whether these have been sat there in the pipeline and just got delayed, whether this was a something that the uh, former uh, CEO, who I won't name, uh, famous for getting a musical instrument case, whether that was his project and it was sort of sidelined after he was kicked out, I don't know. Or, yeah, it could just be pandemic-related things. So I think they've, they've been prepared for this for a while, haven't they? So this is almost a, a re-announcement of something they were already going to do. Mm. But you go back to the point around the, the manufacturer readiness. I mean, Nissan have invested hugely post Brexit in 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 UK manufacturing, right, and the, the manufacturing of electric vehicles at, at their plant in Sunderland. So, you know, they've already been geared up for this. So, mm. a change of course for them now, even a slowdown of it, a delay of it, or a reduction of the number of vehicles would mean a complete change to the way they manufacture cars, not just here but but across. Europe. So I think they're right to say, well, look, we've already put our plans in place um, and, and we want and will stay on course with that. Whether that will happen, of course, based on consumer sentiment towards driving a fully electric cash car, a very, very popular car in, in, in the UK. Um, you know, but that that's that's then down to the government to continue to put the right incentives in place around charge points and and so on. And I know. You know, you go back to the point James made last week about, you know, having to get planning permission to put an electric charge point in his house. You know, there's going to be <laughs> lots of other stories like that where people are going to find themselves in a really sticky spot. I, I How many stories end up with James? Always James talking about planning permission for his house somehow. <laughs> yeah, I couldn't believe that he had to apply for planning to put an, a, a charge point in his house. But 
how many other people are in either a similar position or simply can't put a charge point in the house, but have been loving driving a Qashqai for, for a number of years and, you know, Nissan are going to have to navigate that. So the government um, over the course of the, the next two or three years, but I think they're right to, to, to say what they've said this week in terms of a commitment to, to the plan, because it's just too hard for them to undo. Mm -hmm. Mm. Yeah, I think right. I, I I totally agree with you, Paul. But the, I, I should make this point that not everybody lives in a Georgian townhouse with a oh, yeah. 911 GT3 <laughs> in, the, in the garage. So um, the fact that he has to apply for planning permission <laughs> and hopefully it gets refused will, will be fantastic. Oh dear! Sorry, James, if you're listening. <laughs> Uh, just just before we move on, I will mention a, another thing. I was hanging around in my journalisty way um, while the CEO, Makoto Uchida, we should name him. I wondered which of you were going to try and pronounce yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, I did. And we, were, we were waiting. We were sort of hanging around and I saw Simon Jack off of the BBC was doing an interview. And I think they, they were talking about solid state batteries. So I, as I understand it, Nissan are quite far ahead in terms of solid state um tech as well so they see this as sort of the uh what's the word the thing that will save battery electric vehicles won't yeah. they because it will it is doesn't have quite the same limitations of a normal battery obviously you still have to plug it in somewhere so that's still a problem um but they charge a lot faster they don't uh, degrade in quite the same way all this sort of stuff and i think nissan have been well unsurprisingly nissan have been making battery electric vehicles since whenever it was 2010 haven't they so they've had quite a march on everyone else um and this solid state thing has been the holy grail so maybe if they get to it first and stick it in a cash guy or similar they will be a little bit ahead of everyone else still using lithium iron and so on and, a, and a, once you get a, a consistent 600 plus range of battery i think you know, that range anxiety subsides for a lot of people because, you know, that's more than the average on a weekly commute, really. You know, so if a car if a car is holding charge for 600 miles or more consistently across a, a, across the vehicle range, I think gone will be those days of, oh, it's only 200 miles and I don't have enough points to charge over, over the course of my commute. So I think that, I think you're right with Nissan. I think they are, and they must have that confidence, right, to be able to stick to that plan that we've got. We've got things on the horizon that we feel will will, will be on our side. But you do make an interesting point there, John. Though that um, I think they are very advanced with solid state batteries, and um, you know, at what point do they? Because um, I'm sure it's all very secretive at the moment, and they're they're working diligently on 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 this technology. But at what point do they start sharing it with the wider world? Because um, the CEO's comments I can't pronounce his name is appalling, isn't it? Um, <laughs> dear oh dear, to be, to to be perfectly honest, I've closed I've closed the page and I can't find his name anymore. But <laughs> um, but but his comments late, late after the the comments about every new EV, you know. Europe, yada yada. He did. He did actually call on more manufacturers working closer together on making this transition easier for consumers. So whether that does involve Nissan actually uh, sharing their secrets on on how far they are down the uh, development cycle with batteries will be an interesting one to see. To to see, really, won't it? So. Very generous of them. Mm. We'll be right back. The Cardiola podcast is sponsored by SalesLink from Jato 
a market insight tool that's purpose-built for franchise car dealers. Get analysis on thousands of new vehicle transactions every month from all the major brands. See model mix and trim data for the brands you sell, as well as competitor data, all in the free web-based platform. It lets you track vehicle option uptake, color preferences, and gives detailed data on pricing and discounts. Sign up for your free SalesLink account today. Visit jato.com slash saleslink to start unlocking your market insights. Okay, uh, well, I will move us on. This is going to end up being a two-story podcast, isn't it? Um, <laughs> so I'm going to move us on to uh, everyone's favourite deep in the news, Pendragon. So oh. just as a... There's a oh, lot have they been people. in the news recently? <laughs> <laughs> never heard of them never heard of them. <laughs> so there's there's a lot of stories this week so just to as a recap for anyone who uh hasn't been listening um been various offers made for pendragon over the last few weeks first we had lithia then we had a joint offer from Hedin, which i believe is a swedish group and penske who of course own uh sitna and are an enormous dealer group in the u.s so that was quite a surprise. All of these have been collectively quite surprising. This week, another one has entered the fold. So we now have AutoNation. So AutoNation, again, is an American big dealer group. I would say similar size um, to, well, yeah, they're quite big. They've got 300 dealers, uh, $6.9 billion of revenue last year. So quite it's also a, where... Quite it's a, also- well, it's also where Bill Berman was from, wasn't it, Automation? Is it really? I didn't know that. I didn't I'm know fra- that. I'm going to frantically Google that because I the fact that both of you said you didn't know that is worried me. No, but now that you've said it, it kind of it does. I mean, it would make sense, wouldn't it? I'll tell you something else as well. The CEO is Mike Manley, formerly of Stellantis and a Brit himself. So don't know if that's got anything to do with their sudden desire to expand. Yes, into- he was. He was, yes. He spent he spent over two decades at Auto Nation, Bill Burma. Oh, never. Well, that's added a dimension to my story there. Thank you. <laughs> um, so they want to buy the entire company in cash. As I understand, that includes Pinewood, which some of these offers have sort of sidelined because Pinewood are having some legal issues in certain bits of the world. 32p a share, which matches the Hedin and Penske offer. Uh, Bill Berman has called these two unsolicited offers, but the uh, the group is said to be considerate, considering the offers. So it's definitely not a straight no. So that was that was a bit of news. Since then, we've had uh, we've spoken to some market analysts. They reckon Pendragon shareholders are unlikely to back the Lithia deal. Um, they haven't said necessarily whether they'll back any other deal, but other deals. Um, they reckon so this is uh Liberum, whose name I can never say properly. Um, so they reckon the, the bid from Lithia falls well below the price that you could get elsewhere. They reckon the auto nation uh bid will have to be increased to around 35p a share if it's going to beat off the head and Penske one. So there's a, a lot going on. On top of that, they're also Pen Dragon are desperately trying to get rid of this legal thing to do with Pinewood. So there's a legal challenge for Pinewood from their Asian distributor, Asia Pacific distributors, um, which alleges all sorts of things along the lines of 
Pinewood didn't make relevant adjustments to the product to make it actually viable in those countries and so on. At the same time, uh, the uh, uh, there seems to be a bit of back and forth about that. So they're trying to dismiss that. But that's an enormous headache in the middle of trying to um, look at all these offers and accept one. Mm. So, Batch, what are your thoughts on this? Well, um... who are going to go with? <laughs> well, again, I'm else going to come in? I'm going to have to get out that crystal ball, aren't I? I don't know, to be perfectly honest with you, John. And but the 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 whole thing has um, amazed me really because I didn't think there would be three potential suitors for the business, and particularly with Auto Nation. I mean, to come in and have no UK representation whatsoever, um, you know, prior to this, or you know, is 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 quite amazing, really, isn't it? And um, but I suppose it just goes to show how ripe the uk listed dealer market is at the moment and 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 how ripe pendragon is so um i think we've said this time and time again and lots of analysts have also said this but be prepared for more surprises because i don't i i think there's it's just going to carry on developing this 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 story isn't it and um, i think you're right and there's four suitors in it really because the pen well, yes. heading is a joint offer yes. heading have put an offer in for pendragon before you know only what less than a year ago mm. so there's actually four supergroups involved in this process at this stage right yeah and of course if it does if it does go through then 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 virtue is going to be the only one left in in uh, of, of the big ones that's in in private hands isn't it so um uh, yeah well, I mean, you're right there's a lot of confidence clearly in in the uk sector you know when we look at the uh, well, what we had the lookers or the ongoing takeover of lookers by the Canadian group, Global Holdings, Lithia, of course, buying Jardine. Uh, well, that was early this year, I think it was, mm, was it beginning yeah. of, or maybe, maybe it was last year or this year. And now this one, but it's not just that. I think the, you know, JD Power, I don't know if you guys covered this story. I think you probably did last week or the week before, but JD Power buying Euro Tax Glass, which got business across. Europe, but here in the UK as well. So that's a major uh, US automotive supplier buying a major UK and European uh, automotive supplier, more around sort of data and, and valuation services, of course. But, you know, there's a lot of interest in, in UK and Europe from the North American businesses at the moment. And I think that shows, despite threats around agency, despite uncertainty around, around the EV future for, for the UK and Europe, there's a lot of interest still in in our in our sector from those firms which is is you know is is a positive not not that not that they'll be taken over by american firms necessarily but i think the confidence in the sector is a really positive thing mm, absolutely yeah i mean yeah. It's, it's very interesting to watch isn't it as well it, even just these individual deals because there's so much who's gonna who's gonna be successful because they're all very different propositions in terms of if I was on the board trying to decide who was going to, what to accept, if any. Um, I mean, this this Pinewood thing must be proving a bit of a headache for them. Obviously not not enough of a headache that some of these companies are happy to just deal with it. Well, but... no, and I don't, I mean, I've only only know what I've read about it, especially from, from, from the news that's been published, but I don't, I don't think there would be a huge nervousness around that from, from these organisations, yes, there's obviously a situation that that needs to be resolved. But I think the 
I think it was like $250 million or pounds in terms of uh, the, 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 the complaint ledgers, but that's, that's got to be a lot of, a, a lot of pirate licenses and a lot of, a, a lot of lost revenue or lost opportunity to justify that sort of settlement. So, now, obviously, that process needs to needs to take its course, but I can't imagine that would would put off any of the suitors, whether whether Pinewood was in or out of the deal. And Pinewood's a great business, you know, so I think there will be a, a lot of interest in that, whether it is part of the deal uh, or or it's spun off as a as a standalone company. But um, yeah, I can't see that being a deal breaker, and and I wouldn't be surprised if there is more interest in in the opportunity and and. Uh, you know, at what thirty-five p a share? It's not a great deal more than 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 was declined for the heading the the heading offer for Pendragon last year, despite the fact that you know the the business has improved. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised if there was more interest. Mm. Watch this space. Mm. But it's a uh, it's a news story that's 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 ongoing, right? <laughs> you know, mm. it's, yes. it's going to it at again. least the third week. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes, we've had to start putting lists in our stories of the stories so far. <laughs> well, Pendragon sort of become the new kazoo for us, isn't it, at the moment? Yes, we have. Yeah. We haven't mentioned kazoo for quite a while, but I just have mentioned it, so there we are. <laughs> <clears throat> Once a week, that's the quota. Yes. Uh, over to James Batchelor. Um, uh, well, I just would briefly like to talk about um, some news from Stellantis this week. Um, they've had another, and yet another management uh, reshuffle. Um, so this has sort of been um, created by um, Julie David, who um, uh, she was appointed uh, Peugeot MD a couple of years ago. And um, and then last year there was a big reshuffle and uh, she was uh, told to uh, go and head up Stellantis UK's new premium brands division, which is uh, Alfa Romeo and DS. But uh, she's elected to retire. Um, what well, elected to retire from Stellantis? Um, the press release says that she's she's off to go and pursue another uh, another role within the automotive industry. Um, and I'm quite sad that Julie's going. I mean, I've had numerous conversations with her over the past eighteen months or so, and uh, she's a lovely person. Seems really switched on. She had some really interesting ideas on where she wants to take the Peugeot brand. And, and, and uh, you know, I think it's sad that she's going and and and, and I wish her all the best. Taking over her role um, is Jules Tilston, who's um, currently MD of Jeep. But prior to that, he was the MD of um, DS. So he's sort of going sort <laughs> of back to where he was. But now he's also got Alfa Romeo to look after as well. And the important thing with all of this, though, is that DS and Autom uh, D DS, DS and Alfa Romeo are the two brands that we know um, are going to be um, switching over to agency sales. Um, now, this is a movement that has been delayed quite a few times. We are told that it is, it is going to be going ahead next year. Um, and um, uh, I think a lot of, lot of people are going to be uh, looking quite closely at this because you would presume that the the other Stellantis brands, Peugeot, Citroen, Vauxhall, Fiat, etc., will follow suit um, shortly afterwards. But uh, at the moment, they're not going to. It's just DS and Alpha. So it would look as though um, Jules Tilston is going to be the man in charge when these brands switch over. So there's a lot going on there. But more importantly... 
when is Stellantis going to get some stability in the UK? Because, you know, the sales wise that their brands are sort of a little bit all over the place. I think it's fair to say that quite a few of them are underperforming. Um, and we also know that a lot of their dealers aren't happy at the moment at all. Some of the big dealer groups just haven't been very impressed with with the leadership up until recently. Um, of course, the new boss of Stellantis is uh, Maria Grazia Divino, who's taken over from Paul Wilcox, who has also retired. Um, and hopefully Maria can can change things around. But the point I'm trying to make is there's just been a lot of movement there. And, I, you know, I'm not trying to cast aspersions, but when mm. when there's a lot of management movements, it's it's a sign that the the wider organization isn't a particularly stable and and happy ship is it so um again it's going to be interesting to see see what happens but um i wouldn't be surprised if there's another um management shifty shifteroo uh, at, uh, at at some point in the future i hope not but uh, so yeah so that's 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 the latest news from stellantis Yes, the the appearance isn't of stability, is it? No. So, and probably they won't have any stability. You said when are they going to have stability? Probably not until they've sorted out the axing of 138 dealers, which they've said they want to do. Um, yeah. If, yeah. I don't, having said, I was going to say once they've implemented agency sales and got that sorted, will they get it sorted? I don't know. That's a slightly different. Topic. I also I wouldn't want that job being in charge of Alpha and DS because that's uh, I don't know. You've got two brands that are fundamentally. I mean, I could say this about Stellantis is many many brands as a whole, but they're two broadly similar brands, aren't they? I don't well, think you, I, you see. I don't think they are. I think they're diametrically opposed. I I think. You know, in the new Stellantis order of things, they're saying that Alfa Romeo is a premium brand, hence why it needs to go with DS. But I, I think they're wildly different. On the one hand, you've got a fiercely Italian, uh, you know, motorsport related car company that's got a, a very colourful history of building some wonderful and also some pretty awful cars. Um uh, you know, partnered with a brand that's got no real legacy whatsoever. And the legacy it has got and the identity it has got is very much being manufactured. Um, and um, it's not a particularly genuine brand, whereas Alpha is. So I, uh, sorry to interrupt you there, but no, I no. personally think it's, the, the, I think it's very odd that these two brands are being put together. And if, if I were the boss of, of the pair of them, I'd be very worried, really, because I just don't think they're a good good fit with each other. We both we both think the same thing, but for different reasons. I mean, what I what I would say is Stellantis and before them FCA are a little bit too good at watering down the history of brands and just letting them disappear. I mean, may I may I mention Lancia? Lancia was a motorsports ish kind of brand, and now all it does is sells a rebadged Fiat Five Hundred in Italy. That's the only thing they make after the yeah. disastrous period of rebadging Chryslers and all sorts of things. Nice. Um, I just, I look at the Alpha range. They've got the new Donale, haven't they? Um, they've still got the Stelvio and the Giulia, which are great. They're very nice cars, but they are not going to be, the platform that was engineered for them is never going to be used again. It was just built entirely for those cars. A lot of investment put into that. And now they're just going to bin it in favor of 
using the existing um, Stellantis platforms that have gone under things like the Peugeot 508 and things like that, I suppose. Um, and DS is just a little bit, it's not quite established itself, has it? I think they had a tremendous success with DS3 and then got a bit carried away. I don't think, um, I think when you, I mean, if you compare it to the success of Cupra for the Volkswagen Group, for yeah, example, that's really odd. DS for Stellantis. Um, and I think, I do think Alfa Romeo and, and, and DS are, are very different, but combined, their volumes are nowhere near where I think Stellantis mm. would have wanted them to have been. And um, I do think a lot of change in, in the business is, I mean, it's natural, I think, when you bring a lot of those brands together in the way that the business has and when they're making huge transformational change in the way they want to retail. But the, the challenge is always to the to the franchisees and to the, to the dealers, of course. If, if a new CEO or a new managing director has a different view on the timings or a different view on the strategy, um, you know, what effect does that have on, 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 on the dealer network? Because they rely on that stability from their brand partners, of course, to, to, to make the investments in the facilities, the people and the, and, and the product. But I don't, I think if you were looking at it purely on, on, on year to date registrations and you were looking at DS versus some of the other brands, you would be, you know, you'd be looking at, I think we, we, we wanted to have done more with that brand than, than we have done this year. You do make a very interesting point about Cooper. I hadn't actually thought of that, Paul, because, you know, they are, you know, they've had quite, you know, similar creations, haven't they? They were yeah. once once part of a, of a of a legacy brand and they've been divested and have got, got their own identity. And, and all of the sort of the criticisms that are leveled at DS, uh, you know, and, and, the, and the problems leveled at DS, you know, particularly by their management who say, look, it's going to take a long time to gestate. It's, you know, it's very difficult to be in the premium sector. All of those things are true of Cooper, and yet they've been is, able to actually... Is Cooper premium? Um, I would say, I would I say think it, yeah, the I brand think, would say it's premium for sure. Yeah, I think there are elements of premium in it. But I, I think all all the, the, the problems with DS, you could level at Cooper, and yet Cooper has been able to shrug a lot of those off. Is it simply, and I don't want to sort of just say cliches here, is it simply because um, British British people are just very inherently suspicious of, of luxury French cars? I mean, I, 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 just, I just don't know. But you could also say that DS across Europe isn't particularly um, successful. It's not just the UK where it's, it's problematic. So um, I don't know. But I hadn't thought of that, Paul, about Cooper. You're, you're absolutely spot but on. I, but even then, you know, we mentioned earlier about the emerging brands and the new brands coming into the market. You know, all of those, all of the OEMs have an eye on that. I mean, take out some of the really high-end premium and, and luxury brands that are perhaps less affected by it. But, you know, the the volume and, the, and that, that sort of mid-premium range, if you like, you know, will we'll come under threat. And, it, you know, I mean, even Genesis this year, UK registration of it is not very dissimilar to Alfa Romeo, who's been established in this country for a very, very long time. So I do think there's, um, look, I mean, with any with anything like this, there's opportunity with, with new people coming in to put a, 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 a new plan in place. But, you know, they do need to clearly make some changes to 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 have an have an impact but i would i would think you know um 2024 will be a challenging year for for, for both the brands still i would is my personal opinion but mm. Mm. 
Johnny Ray, do you want to move us on? I will move us on uh, to one of those emerging brands, um, which is BYD. Uh, and this is the news that Pendragon, don't know if you mentioned them, but they're opening a flagship BYD showroom in Mayfair, of all places. So BYD, yeah. I is, I thought they were relatively, uh, they're not premium, they're not really cheap, but I would say they're reasonable sort of volume mark, aren't they? They're not like, they're not a genesis of this world. They're for the everyman, BYD. Build um, your dreams. Build your dreams, and they have built them. They're not. Are they? They're not putting build your dreams on on the back of the car, though. Are they? No. no oh, well. We, well, I think they've realised that British people don't like to have dreams, um, <laughs> because that that we you know we, we're nat we're naturally very British and we like to downplay everything. We don't we'll like all to, forget them very quickly. Yeah, mm. we don't like to have that American positivity of, of building your dreams. So we don't. We just take it yeah. off. We're not very aspirational. No. Um, well, perhaps in Mayfair they are a bit more aspirational because they've uh, opened the flagship showroom there in Barclay Square, which is uh, under the Stratstone brand, which Stratstone, of course, was traditionally used for posh manufacturers, wasn't it? Mm. But Pendragon, obviously confident enough in BYD's offerings that they've decided to pop one in there. So this is their third showroom, I think. The other ones are in Milton Keynes and Birmingham decidedly slightly less posh um but yeah i just i just thought this was a surprising take i mean you wouldn't say i was about to say you wouldn't see mg in mayfair but actually there's an mg head office in yeah. piccadilly <laughs> I, know, I know but no nobody knows of that mg show in piccadilly though do they no. walk past and they see a gold mg tf in the window and walk on by don't they so that's very true um, i mean yeah this is this is not where i would have seen it if you were going to ask me where would they put a byd showroom in london mayfair it is it, it, it is it is bold and i and i sort of i i do, <laughs> I do sort of wonder is are they sort of running before they can walk really because byd okay it's very well known amongst us and people in the motor trade but to the larger public there is a huge amount to be done in terms of brand awareness and to go into Barclays square i suppose i suppose uh stratstone would say well there's no bigger sort of billboard than being right in the you know, in Barclays Square in the upmarket parts of London, but um, I, I just think it's just a bit of an odd, an odd thing, really, and and slightly too soon. But well, it's not just what do I know? I was a bit, a bit surprised by that because mm. they're they're not really. Yeah, I mean, I've, the image we've used is two BYD dolphins, which mm. do not look like the most. I mean, we hear a lot about BYD is going to be the next big thing, but they don't look like the most aspirational products, do they? The seal and the dolphin, really, but. Well, especially anyway. when the dolphin is one, it's called a dolphin, and yet round the corner you can go and buy a Phantom and a Cullinan and a Bentayga. Yeah. But aside from that, it is also the UK's cheapest electric car, isn't it? And then it's, um, I don't know, I don't know. Or what do you think? Well, I think you know, if it was in a shopping centre, we'd, we'd, we'd be having the same discussion. We probably wouldn't. No, you would mm. think, oh well, if they put it in Blue Water, then it, you know it's a sensible place to put to put a showroom. But, but then Blue Water does have a Primark, so well, controversially, it's not one too far from Mayfair, though. I'm I'm, I'm sure. And and look, I mean, you know, although there are a lot of a lot of Bentleys and Rolls Royces in Mayfair, there's also a lot of people that would. Would definitely see a BYD as a more as a more affordable product, but I think look, I mean the fact that the fact that it made the news is is one thing, right? You know, if they it, it's publicity for the brand, and I I think you know, when when a business is entering the market like that, and they 
they've got a they've got a, a dealer partner for for the launch in in the country, which I think is the right thing for them to do as well. I think um, entering the market and trying to go direct to consumer without the the backing of a of a of a dealer group, it it, it wouldn't work as well for BYD. But I think they, I think they'll have, they'll be happy with their decision, and I think the the footfall through that that store will will be just what what they need personally. Mm. But we'll see. We'll Certainly not. I mean, I'm not too far from Birmingham. I've not, I've not. I've not actually been to the BYD store in Birmingham, but I might make it a point to do that now, as uh, uh, to ha have a look at the product awesome. range. So I've not seen it in person, actually. They are quite interesting. I mean, I think uh, what I what I gathered from looking at them in motor shows is they're quite. You know, like you go into a VW showroom and everything looks like it has a, everything feels quite collected and very similar. BYD felt a little bit more, I don't want to say all over the place, but there wasn't a kind of common theme running through the cars, apart from the fact they were electric, um, that I particularly saw. It was a, it was a bit sort of peculiar, but anyway. Well, I think one thing that BYD is, is, is potentially being a little bit more su successful at is, is quickly following and, and expanding the product range, whereas um, Aura uh, and uh, just haven't. And I know they've got this um, sort of like saloon Porsche Panamera shaped car coming, but there's going to be a wait on that. You know, that's not just it's not just around the corner. And they decided to to launch the Aura Funky Cat. Initially, it was going to be twenty five grand. Now it's thirty six grand, and they keep saying there's going to be a cheaper version coming on, and we haven't <laughs> seen it. And it's just you. But if you're div launching a new brand, you need to keep keep the you know, this is just momentum. Yeah, it's just like one hundred and one. I'm not saying anything particularly original here, but you need to keep the story going, don't you? And if you yeah. suddenly launched to something and then you just stood there, hey, yes, this is our car. People are going to come to you. It just doesn't work like that. No. And not in this country either. I think no. you know, car, car buyers will, will, you know, they need to they need to feel a connection to the to the mm. product, right? When you're buying a brand new a brand new vehicle, and there's mm. so much choice in this country, and that's the 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 one thing. You know, you look at other countries. You know, even if you look at India, you know, it's forty percent market share for for the leading brand. You don't get that. You don't get that in this country. It's distributed very evenly across. You know, a, a lot of brands relatively. So. Um, but I would, you know, BYD's volumes next year will not, you know, we're just talking about uh, DS and Alfa Romeo, you know, the volumes will eclipse, you know, some of those brands that maybe haven't done as, as, as not uh, the numbers and they won't have the dealer footprint that, that some of those established brands have got, you know, three stores, even if they doubled that to six or, or increased it further, you know, they, they won't struggle to sell the vehicles. It's just, keeping that fresh like you say james in terms of uh, uh interest and, and and product lines right yeah yeah right i've i've got one more story johnny ray is that, does that up to you? um well funny enough um uh, we mentioned cupra earlier on but um and saying that they're doing everything fantastically uh -huh. well but um, they've actually. I didn't, I didn't say fantastically well. <laughs> Sorry, I'm, putting word, I'm a journalist. I'm putting words Better in your mouth. I'm, I'm sure you did. No, um, <laughs> no. Um, perhaps I said it, but uh, we were we were talking about Cupra earlier on, and um, but um, despite talking about them in a positive light, they've come bottom of a reliability survey this week, and it's not just any old reliability survey. It's 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 by what car? So it does have, um, you know, some sort of well, quite a lot of credibility. Um, 
and uh, so they came they came completely bottom um stone dead last with an 82.4 percent uh rating um alfa romeo voxel jaguar land rover were above them um so the top 10 most unreliable brands included those brands i've just mentioned including renault mercedes-benz mg audi and subaru so i mean quite a few surprises there and topping the table again not a surprise it's lexus then it's toyota mini suzuki mitsubishi honda hyundai kia volvo and tesla um the, the thing that surprised me about this, though, it's the powertrains. Now, I know as soon as you mention that P word, everybody switches off because it's I think it is one of the most dull words that you can ever use uh, in the English language, isn't it? Let, let, let me talk about my powertrain. <laughs> um, but um, it is interesting because the most reliable powertrain what car found was a hybrid. And everybody thinks hybrids are unnecessarily complex, don't they? But no, according to Wattcar, they are the most reliable powertrain. Uh, and uh, conversely, electric models with their simplest setup uh, have proved to be letting owners down. Um, so uh, uh, can I ask James Batchelor, because I'm sure you have a very solid grip on this story. Mm. Can I ask when they, what do they take into account for reliabilities? Do they include things like Oh, I don't know. Infotainment systems. Well, yes, yes, and that's that. That's the big change in these reliability surveys over the past few years, isn't it? Because in the past, it was simply down to mechanicals, really, wasn't it? Mm. Um, broadly speaking, but you know, it's 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 uh, so much more these days, isn't it? It's infotainment systems, it's touch screens, it's batteries, it's you know, electrical systems, you know. Um, so yeah, there, I think there's rather a lot more to it than than simply the mechanical oily parts. Uh, these and that's days. where I I, I empathise a little bit with Cooper because they load those cars with a lot of equipment. They load those yeah. cars with a lot of the uh, the, the infotainment tools and features that that the buyers will want. So you know, whereas some of the other brands make them all optional lectures, you know, and uh, or or don't offer them at all. So if they're putting more on the vehicles. You know, they're likely to feature more in terms of a, a survey like this. Mm. Well, and if I were to hypothesize, how many cars do Cooper have in their range? Three? Three Coopers? Yeah. There's the Bourne, the, the Attacker. Oh, and the Attacker, the Attacker, and the, what's the other one? The Leon. So they've got four. Yeah. These are all quite new, apart from one of them, apart from the Attacker. These are all very new VW Group products and all have the new. VW Group systems, which we've been banging on about for about three years, saying it keeps going wrong and things keep happening. I mean, we had a Cupra on loan that something uh, similar went wrong with the sat-nav and they took it away and uh, didn't give us it back. So I think possibly that might be why it's distilled itself into the last place in this particular survey. The other thing... Well, wow, just sorry, just on that on. point, though, I totally agree with you. And if I think about the infotainment system in the Cupra Born, for example, because it's heavily re reliant on Volkswagen's um, uh, infotainment system. Consequently, it's absolutely awful um, and should not be used in the car at all. Um, but but, Put it um, lightly, but, but, but VW aren't, aren't in that top 10, though. I mean, no, it's, but, it's, only, it's only Audi that are there. That's James Batchelor. If you look at VW's range, they've got a lot more cars which have the older system in it still 
such as I believe is the polo still using the older system for yes. example yeah they, yeah they still make the up is that a thing they've got yeah. Tiguan that still has the old system in it so I just wonder not to completely put it down to as one sat nav not working across the entire range but I wonder if the architecture of these cars has something to do with it and Cupra's unfortunately I mean, the real news might be the <clears throat> high-fiving of the team at Land Rover down the road for any well, finishing fifth. I mean, they have such a bad reputation, but they've been pleased with the improvements that have been made in terms of reliability, right? You know, they've yeah. done very well in bringing out uh, some new products over the last few years. So, um, yeah, I think they'll be pleased to be climbing climbing that leaderboard. But look, well, I think... Well, although, Paul, we do have to state, though, they're fifth from bottom. They're not... <laughs> well, <bottom>. yeah. <laughs> and fourth hey, from bottom... But the, but the percentage from... difference between fifth from bottom and fifth from top is not is it's not true. true right? Yeah, that's true. Land Rover 87.6%. I mean, Lexus in first place got 98%. So there's not yeah. a huge amount in it, is there? But I think a lot of the, you know, where especially when we talk about Cooper, if if it is, and we don't know necessarily, but if if the, the unreliability is is around software then you know they can be fixed with relatively simple over the air updates and um you know and they, they they'll fix those things in the in the software and, and they won't occur in the future but again you know when a brand's grown so quickly over a short period of time you are inevitably going to have uh some of these teething issues but um yeah i don't know I, like i say i do empathize a little bit with them but no one likes to be bottom of a of a chart like unreliability, uh, unreliable brands today, you know. No, no. Yeah. So um, there we are. That's Anything it. I else? don't have any more stories. Do you have any more, James? Patterson? No, I don't. No, no. Okay. Well, uh, in that case, Paul, are there any stories you think we've missed this week? I mean, there's I something think... about a big, big train line across the country. We don't really cover those things. Yeah. Well, uh, well, the one that's not going all the way across the country now, you mean? It may or may not be. <laughs> We're, he's not going to be drawn on that kind of speculation as to whether the train line will be finished, and you know who would be drawn on that level of speculation. Well, I, I, uh, I don't, I don't live very far from the HS2 line, uh, which goes through the countryside, not too far from me here. So I'm, uh, uh, I. I I wouldn't mind if they finished that project earlier, let's put it that way. But I, I think we could still be on a podcast in a decade's time and they'll still be building that HS2 line. So probably best we don't talk about it. Uh, I was going to say, similarly here in Northamptonshire, I don't know what happens if they suddenly decide to stop HS2. What do they go and they turn it into a big flower bed or something? I mean, they sort of dug it all out. Anyway, this is irrelevant to our particular podcast. So... I mean, I, I, I know the question was was which story I I favoured, and I have to be honest. I think the the ongoing Pendragon story is definitely uh, is definitely the one for me. I think look, I think it's a uh, there's a lot going on. I think there's a lot more to go on with that. And um, no, it's been it's been very interesting watching that. And no, it makes me very proud to be in in the motor motor and the UK retail industry for automotive because I think, like I said earlier, it's a um, you know, it's the confidence in the market that that, that I like. So yeah, that's that's that will be the story I'll pick for today. I can't remember who raised it this week. I think it may have John. been John. Yeah, John. And it's okay. It's all right. John's got to win occasionally. So <laughs> yeah. I do. I do. I will take that. Thank you kindly. Well, on that note, uh, all that's left for me to say is thank you to Paul for judging today. It's been great to have you on, and thank you for your continued support in our 
most no, excellent. Thank podcast. you for having me. Anytime, anytime. And thank you as well to Batch for competing. And thank you for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode. So make sure you're subscribed. So you thank can you very much. That goes live. Thank you, Batch. Uh, if you're listening on Spotify, don't forget you can swipe up now and vote on who you think won. If you want to check out the stories we mentioned today, click the links in the show notes below or head to cardingthemagazine.co.uk where you'll find those and much more news besides. Thanks again. And until next time, goodbye.